Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. Keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself. Do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. And it is a treat to be here today. We have with us Shamani Jane. Shamani, how are you? 
I'm good. I'm happy to be with you, and I'm reveling in your joy right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be very mutual. I've watched your TED talks, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a. Uh, I'm afraid they might not allow this podcast online just because of how much joy <laughs> might be bubbling out of this particular episode. At some point, they may just censor the joy. It's like we broke the bandwidth. Um, <laughs> But in grounded reality, for those tuning into Shamini for the first time, she's a PhD, she's a psychologist, scientist, and in her heart of hearts, I think she'll probably acknowledge that she's a social entrepreneur. She's the founder and director of what I like to call Chi, but she's called the Consciousness Healing Initiative. Um, I have to ask, was that did, when you came up with that acronym, did you know that it was like it was sitting it was with the word downloaded, chi? you know, and of <laughs> course it was like, oh, yes, Chi, of course this is <laughs> Um, yeah, it was just sitting with, what are we going to call ourselves? It was the consciousness collaborative, this, that, and then it just came in. So. Yeah. So I have to say, you know, your TED Talks online have been, they sit in a really special place in my heart um, because there's this balance between sort of opening up to the mystical space, which you know, and even as I've said that word, I'm I'm realizing that I'm ostracizing certain people when I say that because it grounds the other aspect of it is like deep, 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 deeply within science, and sort of the the space between the two in which there's this massive word which when I think of healing, I think of shamani. So, you know, it's this really incredible, um, yeah, I guess sort of two dipoles within which you're sort of operating. I feel. But before we start getting into healing, and potentially even asking the question, what is healing, which is one of the questions that is hot on my lips, which I want to try and come your way, I'd love to understand a little bit about Shamini first. So who was Shamini before the age of like 10? Um, that sort of, you know, you look at that girl and you go, oh, yeah, that's why she's doing all this work for collective healing um, in the world. Like, who is who is that girl? Give us some context in terms of where this all came from, yeah. Amrit, as a fellow Indian and Punjabi, actually of Punjabi origin, you're going to appreciate this. So I was that kid in the corner when my parents partied all the time at the Indian parties where they did, where yeah. the Bhangra was playing, the yeah. blowing, everybody's going crazy, the kids are running all around, and little Shamini in the corner reading a book. It would drive everyone nuts. <laughs> actually, they were like, what's wrong with that kid? You know, why is he going crazy like everybody else? Yeah. And I, I mean, I enjoyed people and I enjoyed my friends, but sometimes I would just get bored with it all. And mm. I would just grab a book and I would just, so I was always deeply curious. Yeah. That was the thing. I like literally just constantly read, you mm. know, I, my father would just find me under, underneath the covers with a flashlight when I was supposed to be sleeping and I would read everything. And it wasn't just science books. I was reading Gone with the Wind. I was reading whatever, but mm. I was just a really avidly, deeply curious person. Mm -hmm, since mm -hmm, childhood and I think most of us are like that most of us have it beaten out of us unfortunately in some way but mm -hmm. we come into the world I think deeply curious and that has sort of stayed with me mm -hmm. throughout my life and the curiosity just sort of came into questioning the nature of our existence um you know why we're here mm -hmm. what what is this reality and then like many I think just witnessing the suffering around me saying why do we suffer like this? 
And, and that really drew me to some of our teachings in Jainism, just trying to understand how they understood the world and the nature of the soul and all of those mystical aspects that you call the mystical reality. Mm. And honestly, growing up here in the West, in the United States, reading about that mystical reality saying, well, that's pretty far out, you know, literally, <laughs> you know, one of the, as I mentioned in my book, one of the books that my dad had in his library was literally called easy journey to other planets with this yogi. And there's like the whole universe. <laughs> and, this and I was like, this is wild. Like, does, <laughs> I really think this is real. Is this science fiction? Like, what is this? Yeah. And then you know, I would read more serious, what I appeared to think were more serious books at the time, which were all about yoga and the influence on the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. I didn't even know what those were, right? I was like eight years old when I was reading these. And I was like, how do they know that? The skeptical mm -hmm. scientist in me, even then, my father's a chemist, um, I would begin to wonder, I'm like, well, they're making all these claims, right? Mm -hmm. All these claims about reality, all these claims about what it means to be human and humanity, and even these claims about how breathing is going to impact our biology. How do they know? Mm -hmm. And that's really what drove me then to bring my curiosity to, you know, mainstream academia, going mm -hmm. to Columbia University and UC San Diego and some of these other wonderful schools in the West to begin to try to answer those questions and, and learning a lot along the way and sharing that because I, I just, you know, love what I'm learning. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for providing that context. I do want to go deeper along the trend of thought that we're carrying, but some part of me just wants to go on this existential tangent for a sec because it just, it does, it actually does my head in too because maybe it's just our heritage, but looking back on how did they know some of the things that they knew, right? Like... You look at all these, like, okay, like your breath and how important it is. And, you know, it's like this piece of wisdom that's been handed down forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And now, and maybe it's just a condition of the world we live in, but now I need like kind of the Wim Hops in the world to break some world Guinness world, world records to really go, yeah, like it's amazing. And, you know, see how you can connect to it. Um, but I find, and especially with the work, you know, your research is like, and it, it uncovers things and then you start to go, oh, okay, I can convince and I know that left brain, right brain, people are starting to dissolve that conversation about we have to actually have two spheres, but for the ease of conversation, like I almost need to bring my left brain around to kind of the right brain, you know, I need that sort of coaxing out of the, out of the gate to sort of, hey, come on, come on, let's go for a walk, <laughs> you know, like let's go see what Let's integrate, yeah. Yeah, right, <laughs> totally, that word integrate, I love it. Um, and so in that, I just want, like, it always blows me away in sort of the, the curiosity that you carry, you know, it's like this, how do they know? Like, you know, other how to visit other planets and all this sort of stuff. And like my left brain immediately just goes, like alarm bells are going, like, what? Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's a part of me that's this fire that goes, Whoa, like, what is really possible with consciousness? It's it's such a trip, right? It really is. And I think it's healthy for us to have, you know, what we call healthy skepticism. I mean, all scientists are by nature skeptical, and let's just break down what that means. It means that we're open. Actually, that's what it means. <laughs> It means that we're saying it could be this or it could not be this. Mm -hmm. I'm open. I, I have some ideas. I'm going to test them out. You know, I'm mm -hmm. going to test them out. I'm going to replicate. I'm going to explore. I'm going to see if I can refute my own idea, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe my idea is an error. I'm open. Mm -hmm. So a true scientist is really openly skeptical and we can adopt that kind of point of view. It doesn't mean that we actually necessarily disbelieve. It means that we're really interested in answering a question and understanding the nature of reality. And so in that way, it's not very different from spiritual inquiry. It's mm. just the tools that 
we use. So when we ask, well, how did they know this? One of the things that I do is I say, well, what's interesting when I look at these patterns in the data, we look at all these ancient traditions of spirituality and even medicine, right? The indigenous mm -hmm. forms of medicine, like Chinese medicine, native medicine, Aboriginal medicine, um, if that's still you know a proper term to use, and if it's not, I apologize. There are so many fundamental truths behind those traditions in terms of understanding the nature of reality, the nature of our connection with our environment, mm. connection with each other, that it's certainly interesting, you know, with our scientific minds to look at that and say, well, well how look at that. They're all kind of saying the same thing. Mm. And they all came to that from their inner experience. <laughs> and then they took that inner experience and then they applied it, for example, to, you know, to healing, to the study of, you know, meridians, to the meridians themselves were, you know, initially kind of understood through experience and then sort of tested out over time with people to develop that map of mm. the subtle energy channels, for example. So it was a methodical process. And so, you know, the way we do science now is mostly third person. We objectify it. It's like, I am here. You are there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to set this. It's sort of outside of me. And there's value to that, right? We, we want to try to be objective. We, we approach things from that third person perspective. But, and... It's really an and, not a but. Mm. There is an opportunity for us to bring those together, right? To not feel like mm. we have to be polarized with our inner experience and the outer reality. Mm. There's a wisdom in bringing those together. So the key question for me from there is also this intersection between curiosity and curiosity is such a gorgeous little rabbit hole. Um, I love it. And so in there, you could have chosen many different avenues to sort of apply yourself to um you know it could have been what is the nature of our reality and that probably does inform some of a part of your work definitely uh, with consciousness but then also why are we here you know and that's a very big question in itself why do we suffer seems to be a question that is at the heart of really of what you're addressing in your time here so why that particular question why is healing so important to you and where did this like where did this become the sort of centerpiece of your work and focus in terms of your approach to the world well you know certainly personal experience being in a family where i witnessed sort of the causes and consequences um, of mental illness that was mm. part of it you know, sort of witnessing that suffering firsthand and then also just looking at the world, honestly, as a child and seeing what I thought of as just being a very fractured reality that was causing suffering for people. Mm -hmm. And why do we choose to live in this way? Mm. And, and sort of that honestly combined with my own, again, personal experience as a child, um, for me, it was actually, a, and this is a this is another rabbit hole to go down and maybe we'll go down it, maybe we will at another time, but um, I've, I've just always loved to sing since I've been a child. So I am a singer mm. and I was a singer early on in, in life. And I found that while I was experiencing the suffering, there was something about simply singing that would bring me into a profound state of joy and a really like literally palpable sense of vibration. Mm -hmm. So honestly, in the beginning, it was more of what is that? You know, there was also at the same time as sort of witnessing the suffering, there was also a sense of noticing my own joy and noticing that I could bring myself to joy 
with my voice. Yeah. What was that about? What was the nature of this vibration? So a lot of that early studying that I did young, you know, as a teenager, um, and even in my early 20s was really about the nature of sound and the nature of vibration in that way. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this a little more in my book, Amrit. So when I was at Columbia, actually, I told all my professors what I was going to study was music and its effects on the on healing in the brain. I was studying neuroscience at that time. Believe it or not, back mm. then in mm. the 90s, they thought that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> music. You know, of course, now we have multi-million dollar NIH yes. programs devoted Sound to it. healings and yeah. all sorts of stuff is happening now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, it's beautiful. So, but when I had my first Reiki session in my mm. 20s, I had this profound real-time experience that I couldn't explain by taking some kind of drug or even necessarily being like having my body manipulated or doing a yoga asana or even doing a deep meditation. Mm. I was, it's, it was almost like I was getting meditated. It was the wildest thing, right? Because oh. what was happening was while this healer was work and she, you know I, I explained this whole story in the book because it's just a fun story this is a typical you know young santa cruz healer you know mm. she's sort of kind of figuring herself out and she's exposing me to reiki i had never even known what that was before i had no idea totally skeptical hopped on the table like whatever mm. all right i'll try this out yeah and she's putting her hands on me and i'm having these profound sensations in my body and mm. i'm realizing these sensations are linked to patterns that I've been holding on to. And as soon as I had these, this realization of, oh, in this case it was, I'm blocking my own power and these are the ways I've been doing it. And as soon as I had that realization, the sense of energy that I had in my body moved. And for me, for the first time, I was like, wow, again, what was that? <laughs> what was that? We need to study that. This could be, and the, the thought in my mind at that moment, really, even in my early 20s when I hadn't gone to graduate school or anything was, this could really help patients. Mm. This could really help patients. I wonder if anyone is looking at this because what I experienced was so powerful and I haven't heard anyone talk about this. Mm. It almost feels like there's this missing link that no one is talking about that has to do with our coming into awareness of our own energy and how that can be facilitated for really deep realization mm -hmm. and therefore healing. And so anyway, there's the long-winded more or less journey, you know, journey toward mm -hmm. the work that I did and what motivated me to run my own randomized placebo-controlled trials on energy healing at the university and you know, begin the nonprofit because I remain convinced after all these decades Mm. that there is still, you know, for, for the upper echelon or however you want to say it, there's still this best kept secret mm. when it comes to healing that doesn't need to be a secret. Shamini, what do you say to those people that get super in their left brain? And I get, um, sorry for saying it that way, but um, you know, it's just a placebo, like all this complementary medicine, energy medicine stuff oh, it's just, you believe in it, so it works, you know, what, what like. Uh, well, I would say it's a yeah. yes and. Yeah, it's a yes and. I mean, I, I give, you know, deep talks and, and lectures on placebo itself, which is a yeah, fascinating, yeah. fascinating field, right? Mm. What do we mean by it's just placebo is the question, right? And then and that's literally where, whether they want to or not, I'll probably break down for them right then what a placebo effect actually mm. is. 
Mm. right? And how it's ubiquitous in everything, how we see what we call placebo. If it's placebo in energy healing, it's also placebo in surgery. Mm -hmm. It's also placebo with many medications, including antidepressants, mm -hmm. including drugs for Parkinson's disease. We see placebo effects everywhere. So why are we calling them even placebo effects? Because what they are are natural healing elements. They're elements that we can capitalize on for our own healing. And that doesn't mean we might not go take the herb or we might not go get the surgery. We might still do those things, mm -hmm. right? But we're flipping this now because what the science is actually showing us is it's never really been about seeking something outside of ourselves to heal ourselves. Mm. Data is very clear when we really take a careful look. It's about recognizing that we are the healer, that healing happens right here, mm. right now, and that I have the ability to galvanize tremendous resource for my healing process mm -hmm. right but we're flipping that because we're moving from a disempowering model a model where we feel completely powerless that our relationships don't matter our environment doesn't matter our diet doesn't matter our energy doesn't matter when in fact all the data is suggesting exactly the opposite mm -hmm. our connections are deep 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 drivers of healing responses our connection with our environment is as well of course, what we feed ourselves, body, mind, and spirit, all of it mm. matters. And this isn't just fluff talk. Like it's all evidence-based, you know, it's, mm. it's beautiful, really. It's very beautiful. You mentioned awareness earlier and sorry, just before we move on, I do love, yeah, your awareness on placebo, which really, you know, helps me as well, which is, yeah, even, you know, there's these studies where they've, put people like they gave him just a scar from surgery and they didn't actually take him to the surgery and they're actually healing just like they would have had the surgery and it's yeah so even with western like you I mean, you described in your talks the sort of western medicine um versus what was called eastern medicine need of a better word or alternative or complementary medicine you know watching the sort of dancers like it's you know your consciousness and your awareness in terms of what i don't want to say you're subjecting yourself to but applying yourself to probably in your own healing um is extremely profound so therein lies another rabbit hole which for me goes well holding the awareness and maybe this may be too personal to ask you but this way but it's probably the easiest way for me to ask the question maybe you can make it a bit more general and less about you if you feel it is too personal but let's say you know now what you know about placebo and how much the person i don't want to say the person the ego but sort of the self is responsible for the journey of healing and then you see people or see yourself sorry stuck in these ruts with certain things that won't niggle won't budge won't move yeah. now it's kind of gone from this really empowering place to like okay like i know i'm responsible i'm in charge here and then yet sometimes you're seeking something to, and i know this is true from my experience like i'm seeking like okay but what is that thing that's going to shift that thing and it's like i'm still looking externally it's like, actually you need to bring it back in it's like yeah but i don't know what the resources are and so yes coming home to like realizing that all the answers come from within me yet then also recognizing that there's a certain amount of something that i require for the healing to be activated and unlocked yeah yes how do you dance yes. that dance yourself beautiful question so this is actually this is such an important question, Amrit, and it's it's actually the motivation behind the third part of my book, which is called The Healing Keys. Mm. And, and when we look at that, and we can, I can describe that a little bit more, but 
there, there are two words that come to mind in listening to you. One is traumatic pattern hmm. and the other is surrender. So let's go through both of those. Okay. Mm-hmm. When we find ourselves often in a stuck place, we want something, we desire something, it's not happening for us, whether it's our healing or just something, something that we're just really holding on to. We really, really want it. Hmm. And we're moving, we're working, and we're really trying to get there. It's just not happening. And we're like, <laughs> hey, what do I do next? This has got to be this. I'm missing that. I'm going here. I'm going there. Realize that you have actually hit and and bless yourself for it because you have actually, congratulations, hit a trauma pattern in your field. Mm. Okay. What does that mean? As as my dear friend Bruce Lipton would like to say, you know, he would probably say, you've just hit an unconscious belief pattern that it's not serving you, right? You're you're hitting a program. That's how he mm. likes to call it. I yeah. love him. Yeah. All about the programs. So, you know, we can call that a traumatic pattern, we can call it whatever, but when we feel stuck, it's often because one, we're pushing with our what we might call our ego, right? Mm. And when we do that, it's usually because it's a trauma response. It's a trauma response. And so what I do when, I, when this happens to me, as it does, because it happens to all of us, mm. is I take a step back and I say, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of that is going to happen if I don't get this thing? or it doesn't happen this way that I want it. What am I afraid of? And, and we can trace that all the way down. And for some of us, this is a very deep and tender question. It mm-hmm. usually ties into what we often call in clinical psychology, our core belief, mm-hmm. that thing that came from the sacred wound of childhood. You know, we all have it. Mm-hmm. Some of us have a few, um, but it's something where we have to bring to awareness. What am I afraid of? What's the worst thing that could happen? And what would that say about me? And really sit in tenderness with that for a moment, understand it. And then there are practices that we can do and we can talk about some of those practices to allow that traumatic pattern to unravel itself. But first we have to bring it into awareness, right? Mm. That's the first step. And then the next step is to surrender. Now this is very. That's a big. That's not a step. That's a slippery dip. Every time I teach the healing keys, we're all good when we talk about grounding and flowing with emotions. <laughs> Getting into creativity. Everybody loves that. You know, we're all singing like you do. That's why I love the way you open this because I have people vocalize all the time in my workshops. You know, I'm really big on empowering the voice. So, you know, everyone's loving that. Their inner child is out, you know. Feel your desire. Oh, I'm into it, you know. Foster your intention. I'm into it. Open to connection. I'm into it. Like, okay, you're getting into it. Great. Now surrender. What? You want me to write my biggest desire? And now you want me to let it go? You know, what kind of teacher are you? you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's very tender. Mm-hmm. It's very tender. And, I, and I, I understand that it's very tender. And here's what I say to them. And what I would say for anyone who says, you know, some, some folks watching and listening would be like, yeah, totally surrender. I get it. You know, other folks would be like, what do you mean? Why, why would I want to surrender something that I want? Why do I want to let that go? And it's pretty simple, really. Most of what we've been taught, including in science and medicine, including about healing, right? And we'll bring this back to healing for a minute and really center around that. We've been taught it's all about the mind. Mm. And we've been taught that the mind is mostly about the conscious mind, 
But as we dig deeper, and whether we could do this in psychology, cognitive neuroscience, philosophy, ancient traditions, no, however we look at it, there is something beyond the conscious mind. And if we really want to enable the field of possibilities to emerge and show themselves to us, then we must get beyond the conscious mind. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the conscious mind, and sometimes what we call our subconscious, and some people call unconscious mind, are driven by what Bruce would call these programs Mm -hmm. or our traumatic patterns, right? Mm -hmm. So when we first bring into awareness what the traumatic pattern might be when we feel stuck, and we hold that in tenderness, we do some work to help release those traumatic patterns from our bodies, from our fields, from the conscious mind. We do that deep inner work. We begin to, from the energetic perspective, free that energy a bit more for the field of possibilities. And still, we don't know what all those field of possibilities are because we're just these conscious embodied beings. So when we surrender it, we're really opening up to trust. And, you know, all the slogans, trust the universe, the universe has my back, all of it. It's kind of like that, right? Where we're literally, we can say, I am just a humble person. I know what I know, and I know that I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. You know, again, like, be the scientist, be the skeptic. I don't know everything. Why do I think I know everything? Why do I think I know how it should be? I just know what I want. Mm-hmm. I'm going to own what I want. I'm going to own the places of stuckness that I have. And then I'm just going to release this out to the universe, to creator, to God, to my higher self, to whoever's listening, you know, Mm. I'm just going to release this. And what I found is that when we can successfully do this, successfully do it, we get out of our own way. It's really just that simple. And then we can actually allow ourselves to experience realities that we didn't even dream of. You know, And, and, and I'm really not trying to be a snake oil salesperson or anything with this. I want people to know much of what I am sharing is evidence-based. And for those, for example, who have struggled with a significant addiction, you know that surrender is a really key part of that process and it gives you a new lease on life. But it's not just for addiction. First of all, we're all addicted to something, okay? So we can own that. And, And second, the surrender process is really, I think, key to expanding our consciousness and living our fullest, most joyful lives. I just don't think we, um, we have studied it enough. Actually, mm-hmm. scientifically, we haven't. Um, and I don't think that in today's world, we allow ourselves to surrender and trust enough. Because mm. it's a scary thing to do. Yeah, it really is for the ego, isn't it? The mind, the ego sort of trembles with <laughs> the concept of, because, yeah, it really loves control and surrendering to the chaos is <laughs> really something. As you were sharing, one of my, um, there's a beautiful brother that we're connected to, his name's Andy Stout, and my wife sings one of his songs really beautifully, in my humble opinion. I'm obviously very biased. Um, yeah. But the, there's this, he, the, the, the lyrics go, there's a lot of, Com, uh, there's a lot of virtue in abstinence there's a lot of commitment in addiction <laughs> some things you have to see to believe and some things you have to believe in to see beautiful and it it really yeah it it really every time i hear that it's like yeah there's you know that surrender that you know that field that you talk about surrender going past our humble personal awareness to sort of go okay like can I give this up can I let it go can I you know surrender it to you know 
universe. And I do I fully acknowledge that we run the risk of ending up in these wispy sort of hippy dippy sort of conversation realms. But in the work that you've done, you know, grounding it in like with the science and sort of holding the awareness. And like, you know, when we started sort of this thread at the placebo, it's like, yep, your your belief systems, your awareness, your programs are the ones that potentially are stuck, but then are also the ones that, you know, can help you let go as well. So in there, I love the sort of opening question, which is like, what am I afraid of? Because as I lean back, like, and it's just ask that question, I can feel the trepidations and the energy that that starts to, you know, one of the keys that you mentioned. Um, what am I afraid of? You know, um, that can, even in certain instances where it's like, I'm trying to heal something. It's like, what am I afraid of? Well, if this doesn't heal me, then it's bigger than me, you know? And even that as a concept is like, okay, what's wrong with it being bigger than me, you know? And just the, the line of inquiry, you know, that can open up and, you know, clear out from there and yeah. Inviting bigger lip, uh, yeah, inviting in greater and greater levels of surrender. One of the questions I've got is between the person's awareness, like our own awareness, and sort of the untapped field of, you know, possibilities that you mentioned too, are we articulating in some ways the biofield, which you put terminology to? Can you explain the biofield yeah. to us before yeah. I start butchering it? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, you won't butcher it at all. I think, I think you're totally, you're headed right in the, in the sweet spot here in the conversation, which is so lovely. So for those who haven't heard the term biofield, and I'm so pleased mm-hmm. that so many people are now understanding what that term is and have heard it before, which is such a joy for me. It's really a westernized term that was coined a couple of decades ago at the National Institutes of Health meeting in the 90s. And it refers to the fields of energy and information that guide our health. That's the simple way of saying it. Now, the the definition that was coined at the National Institutes of Health was something more like a massless field, not necessarily electromagnetic, that guides the homeodynamic functioning of a living organism. Mm. So the first is sort of more plain English. The second is a little (laughs) bit more precise with the scientific language. What does it mean? We're Mm. talking about fields of energy and information, and we'll break down why we say energy and information in a moment. Mm. But when we talk about the biofield, really the way we're studying them is more in the plural than the singular. There may be, in fact, an overall orchestrating field that guides all these little fields. But when we're looking at these fields, we can be looking at the biofield of a cell, which, you know, we do in science. We can look at the biofield of a person and we can look at the biofield between people. We can look at the biofield of the earth and between a person and the earth. So you can already get a sense that some of the payoffs of examining the biofield, which I love and and why I'm so passionate about it is, it's helping us understand how beautiful, deep, and powerful our connection is. Because now when we study things like the fields of energy and information that connect us and heal us, and we do that by studying healing practices like modern practices like Reiki, healing touch, therapeutic touch, ancient practices like laying on of hands, external Qigong. But even looking at this in sort of a more, um, you can say circumscribed, measurable way by looking at devices, Mm. by inputting energy, looking at the bioelectric communication between cells and learning how bioelectric communication between cells can grow new tissue in the brain, Mm. can generate new limbs. You know, this is all part of biofield science. And it's fascinating. So what we're doing in the field, you know, our field of researchers in this area, some of us look at healing practices and clinical studies. 
Some of us are looking at cellular mechanisms, you know, either just by inputting energy or manipulating energy across cells, or by even looking at healers and their effects on cellular function in models like cancer, right? There's a lot of varied work that's going on by a really dedicated group of scientists, many who are tenured professors at major universities. Um, these are, you know, really hardcore, deep, um, and careful scientists that are conducting this work. And as you know, you know, I, I described it a lot in my most recent TEDx talk, because I'm just so excited about where the field is going. What the possibilities are, yeah. Yeah, it's just really tremendous, because when you take all that, and you just sort of take it to heart, and you understand what's happening, and what they're uncovering, what it's showing us again is um, how powerful our energy is, mm. how powerful our consciousness is. For healing ourselves but also in being in healing presence with others and that that actually really has an effect a demonstrable effect effects where we're seeing effects on things like not just fatigue and pain and anxiety but also cellular changes including mm. changes in immune functioning and hormone functioning and even when we look down to the cells and we get beyond humans when we're studying these effects with energy healers and energy healing in these very carefully controlled studies, say at MD Anderson Cancer Center, Harvard, you know, really wonderful universities, sham controls, you know, kind of, again, quote, placebo controls, that kind of thing. We're seeing that these effects that energy healers have, even on cells in animal models of cancer, directly on cells themselves, have the ability to prevent the spread of tumors in the body, in some cases shrink the tumors in the body. And we're looking at really deep downstream effects, including the signaling that's happening between the cells. How is this happening? What's going on on the cellular mm -hmm. level? We're seeing decreases in inflammatory cytokines, which are just simply cell messengers, immune transmitters, kind of like neurotransmitters. Right? We're seeing decreases in those inflammatory cytokines that are related to cancer spread and growth. We're seeing changes in cell subsets. We're seeing changes in signaling molecules where people are still looking for drugs to change those signaling molecules to prevent the spread of cancer. So these are very real and they've been replicated. There's ongoing research being done. There's a ton more research to do. I mean, we've just started scratching the surface of this, but it's extremely exciting because we're really uncovering the power of human consciousness here. No, it's incredible. So when I hear about these studies, I get so excited. And then I'm almost amazed when, you know, folks like, for example, Ted are like, eh, this isn't real. Like, you know, no, <laughs> you don't believe this. We know you just, you know, shared all this data. We know you just shared the peer reviewed published studies. Hmm. You know, we know this work is coming out of great institutions, but we just, we're sorry, but we just don't believe it. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's just, so that's unfortunate, especially when you have gatekeepers like Ted, who are supposed to be about not only I would suggest ideas worth spreading, but knowledge worth knowing, evidence mm. worth knowing, right? That's what they're supposed to be doing. Mm. And yet we see, unfortunately, with platforms like Ted, um, what I'm noticing is that across the board, they seem to be clamping down on whole person health approaches. It's not mm. just the biofield work, which is very cutting edge. I understand that. But I'll give you an example. My colleague just released a talk on integrative mental health and they put a note on her talk as well, you know, uh, you know, kind of admonishing people to be careful with the talk because she's talking about emerging data for VR for depression. Mm. They have flagged talks on breathing, 
for mm -hmm. health. You know, so I don't know why they're doing that. I think it's very unfortunate. And, you know, I'm in dialogue with them because I, th I think it's very misguided. Mm. At the risk of um, derailing our conversation to go into that space, I, I personally, um, when I saw some of those comments, I, well, no, when I saw that statement on the video, but then I started dialing into the comments on the videos, I was really enheartened, actually, um, because there's hundreds of comments and people are like, I don't know why the fuck this had, sorry, pardon my French. That's <laughs> not French, pardon my French people. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know why, you know, and she presented a whole bunch of data and da 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 and da 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 and this seems like, and I've looked up the data and it all seems good. Like, why would Ted, you know, and I think it has invited just from the comment section in YouTube, which is, you know, a platform where I spend a lot of my time um, for, you know, I just, this where the, the podcast exists as well. So I spend a lot of time there. Now, I just found it really enheartening because people had then taken the time to listen to the talk versus the sort of position that Ted took to your video and then go on, actually, let me research this a little bit further. So we invited them to yeah. take their own approach and exactly. see what was what for them. And then they came back to comment, like actually, you know, in support of, of the message that, that you were sharing. So, yeah, for me it was a, um, yeah, validation exercise. <laughs> Many people ran actually. Right. Yeah, and I love that you brought that up because I think this is key. And I actually say that toward the end of the TEDx talk, what, do we, what can we do? You know, we're we looking mm -hmm. for a healer, we're looking for this. And that is, you know, really sit with the evidence, be your own scientist, first of all. And so there's a, and coming back to the initial part of our conversation about the so-called mystical or the inner experience, let's say, and then the outer knowing and the outer um, knowledge gain, you know, the knowledge base that we want to gain by both looking and sitting with the data and also trusting our instincts and forgetting mm. the hype. You know, I talk about those in the TEDx talk. That's really our path forward especially now we're bombarded with so much information so much hype as well <laughs> there's always somebody that wants to sell us something like yeah. unfortunately the reality of the time so mm. we have to really take in the data and there's really easy ways to do that you know I, I do wish that so many scientific studies weren't behind a paywall mm. um, some of them are but at our nonprofit the consciousness and healing initiative when it comes to the healing space we're doing everything we can to actually share both the evidence and the practices behind this so people can feel comfortable not only in the scientific reality and dig through the data, but also mm. connect with those who have been teaching about healing and self-healing for many, many decades. You know, the trusted teachers who are sharing their perspective because a lot of these healing teachers haven't necessarily done their peer-reviewed published studies. Mm. But they have been out there empowering people with the work that they have been doing for many decades and experience with, and evidence. Mm. Yes. So so for them to share that experience and their wisdom is also very, very meaningful. And of course, those who are holding and teaching from the indigenous ways and the indigenous knowledge and the roots of, of where many of these things come from, um, they also share at the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. And so that's one of the ways we're trying to help make sure that people are actually um being able to access resourced yeah. yeah yeah love that now therein lies uh a fun part of the not that i haven't been having fun <laughs> but uh, an even more fun part of the conversation how do i or is it about me not necessarily i seeking it uh, biofield how do i access this these pockets of information and energy which are here to support potentially my healing my growth my unlocking my moving through um 
whatever it is that's emerging, how do I add, like, is there a prescription for how you access the biofield or do you need a healer or you know, what is our relationship with the biofield and how do we access such a thing? It's beautiful. So we're always connected to the biofield, right? That's really mm. the key. It's, it's again, bringing it to our awareness. So there are mm. so many practices that allow us to more deeply bring the biofield into our awareness and expand our awareness to expand our field at the same time, because there's a deep link between our consciousness and the biofield. And I talk about this in you know my teachings in the book, but it's pretty simple, really. There are so many practices we can use that you can choose what you love. And I'll just give some examples, many forms nice. of meditation, mm-hmm. many forms of prayer, mm-hmm. Tai Chi, Qigong, very ancient and deep science on connecting the fields, your fields with the fields of heaven and earth, literally, right? And these are beautiful practices, yoga as well, because they have been developed over time to not only just access the biofield, but harmonize the biofield. This is really key. So it's not just about, there's some portal that I'm going to walk through and I'm going to go and I'm going to grab the golden star and like put it into my being, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to be enlightened. Cool. That could happen. You know, that's <laughs> cool. um, and, and we're also living in our day to day. The seasons change. People around us can be cranky. Different things can happen. Right. So ultimately, it's also about accessing and harmonizing the field at all times when we're talking about health, healing, spiritual liberation, all these things as embodied people. The simplest is simply to come into the breath. And so we can do something right now, if you like. And I don't know if you, you tend to do practices on your podcast, but I love doing them. So mm-hmm. let's do yeah. it. Okay, great. So we're just gonna do a simple tuning into your field practice here. And <clears throat> I'm gonna invite those of you who may be sitting down to just sort of relax in your sitting down space. And those of you who are standing up to relax in your standing up situation or lying down. And if you're driving, please pause and come back to this later. (laughs) Yes, if you're driving, it it would probably be best for you to come back to this when you don't have to be focusing on making sure you don't crash the car. (laughs) That's important. But get yourself comfortable in whatever position you'd like to be in. And simply take a moment to notice your breath and notice your breathing. Now you can simply notice without forcing or trying. You can keep your eyes closed or have them rest in a comfortable place in the room. And just notice your surroundings. You hear things, people, noises, nature. Bring your breath now and your awareness into your belly. Noticing the rise and the fall of your breath. 
anchoring your awareness into this belly and beginning to notice the sensations in and around your body. Noticing where the breath flows freely. Where you might not feel the breath as freely. Just noticing. And bringing your awareness inside the body, but also just a little bit outside. And here we're really holding our awareness both inside and outside the body. And if you like, if there's a particular area in or around the body that just feels like it could use a little more flow, a little love. Take your hands and just place them on that part of your body. Perhaps it's the belly or the hips, the heart. Maybe one hand goes to one area and another goes to the other. Take a moment to just breathe into those areas with the hands. So you're breathing and you're feeling. Breathing and noticing. Feeling and allowing. Just letting the energy move in the way that it wants to. Letting your body and your soul intelligence guide. Noticing any shifts in sensation And then gently releasing the hands 
taking a nice breath and giving thanks to yourself for engaging in a practice. When you're ready, if you've had your eyes closed, you can open them. So this is a this is a gentle way of experiencing your own field, first and foremost, and this sort of harmonizing practice is just meant to bring us back into the energy in our bodies, as well as around our bodies. Sometimes people have the idea that the biofield is something out there, outside of me, and, and certainly the field is ever expansive, you know, again, going from the healer's point of view, it's limitless actually, but it's also very much inside our physical body as well. And so it's kind of nice to remember that one of the keys to experiencing our biofield really truly powerfully mm. is to remember that we, we are embodied and, and we can start with the body and start with our awareness of sensation in the body and then move from there. Requires a, um... thank you so much by the way. <laughs> You bet. <laughs> we were gently in conversation after meditation. <laughs> yeah. I was a bit about it. Yeah. Mm. So thank you. Mm. Mm. What a gift. There's a prerequisite in there for us to um, slow down and earnest yeah. to meet ourselves. Can you elaborate on the, I don't want to say it's a necessity, but the invitation to do so. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's a, it's a helpful way. You know, there are ways you can feel your field, obviously not in a slowed down way. And martial arts is one of those ways, right? Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of training altogether. And many of us were in those high energy flow states when we're in an athletic space or a performance space in some way have also felt the biofield very strongly with us in very high peak performance ways. Mm-hmm. So there is a, you know, we, we can sense the biofield in every moment. It's mm. and because of the nature of our world, connecting with the field this way is so nourishing. And it's so important for our healing process. This isn't, you know, only about coming into more of a parasympathetic rest and digested state. That's the way we can explain it on the physiological level. We're breathing more slowly. We're taking longer exhales. We're calming and harmonizing our autonomic nervous system. All of that is very true. But there is a spiritual component to it also, right? Kind of bringing ourselves more into a state of quiescence, of peace, of awareness so that we can more effectively be with what is here and the joy of of it you know it's still joyful it it doesn't Mm. have to be screaming out loud joyful but it is a sort of it's not a screaming within i guess that's not how i would describe it but there is a a light within that can build with a gentle practice like this i love it one of the um as you were sharing your insights on joy one of my favorite um excerpts ever actually from any podcast of all time was uh naval ravikant was being interviewed by joe rogan um and they had this quick conversation and naval has these little pearls of wisdom and he says joy is peace in motion and 
oh my god <laughs> that just really just just hooked it in in a really healthy way for me um so yeah thank you for yeah, i love that example. yeah i love that yeah one often wonders some people may wonder why do we call it satchit anand mm. why is our ever nature true consciousness all omnipresence om omnipresence omniscience and bliss yeah bliss so i love mm. that i love that reflection you know joy is peace in motion yeah. it's our yeah. natural state of being it's so epic isn't it <laughs> <laughs> there's a question that is just right for me for the picking it is i don't want to say part of me for asking an annoying question but it is one of those little and you can feel where it's coming from it's coming from the mind so maybe there's a lot to sort of look at just in there in itself but or not but and so from there we've got the ability for us to drop in and harmonize and allow and connect right and ultimately surrender the piece around the that like absolutely this infinite value in that so the challenge therefore then that sort of arises in theory for me at times is in every way you know the, the cracks are where the light gets in that old roomy quote which sort of alludes to the fact that even my cracks are perfect for me you know and that is what really serves my journey in me becoming the amrit version of reality versus you being the shamani version of reality right versus a conversation of there is stuff to heal you know that sort of it's not a polarity but my mind likes to look at it as a polarity in terms of things are just absolutely it's creation like it's amazing and it's perfect in its exact manifestation and yet the conversation of healing has this i need better languaging around this but this essence of brokenness behind it mm. oh yeah how do you go about reconciling and feel like that yeah how do you it go can, about reconciling those two things Shaman? it can feel like that and and wow what a powerful thing that you just uh that you just shared you know that concept of of the need to heal and the sense of brokenness that we can often feel when we are seeking healing and and you had said earlier in the conversation perhaps we should identify or explore what healing means mm. what what is what is that you know really from the scientific side um as well as the com deep conversations that i've had with healers all over the world here's what we've learned first mm. of all healing is multi-dimensional healing is simultaneously occurring across you know multiple levels of reality which means socially interpersonally physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Mm. It is a dynamic process. Healing isn't something that we go out and get. It's something that is constantly happening. It's not a thing. It's a process. Healing is a return back to our innate and original wholeness. And so in that way, I personally say that to me, and I say this toward the end of my book, from everything that I have learned, to me, the paths of healing and the path of spiritual liberation are one and the same. Because mm -hmm. when we talk with healers, what they say is, Shamini, let me be very clear. A lot of them don't want to be called healers. They say, don't mm -hmm. call me a healer. No such thing. Okay, no such thing as a healer. 
I'm a healing facilitator. The person, again, back to our, our original conversation, heal, the person is healing themselves. Mm-hmm. I am just facilitating and providing some causes and conditions to allow that to happen more readily, increase the probabilities for that. But ultimately, it is up to that person's soul, higher self, higher guidance, mm-hmm. what that healing is going to look like. And you know, these so those so-called polarities that we might feel where everything, for example, like you said, is perfect, and yet there's something more. There's a healing that needs to take place. What if we approached everything that we felt was an either or or a polarity as a both and mm. and a complementarity? Okay, mm. because this is actually again, being the science nerd, this is what science teaches us, okay? Mm. And it's not just quantum physics, but if we take quantum physics principles, for example, the principle of complementarity Mm. means that supposedly in that duality lies the other reality. So we see this, for example, embodied in the yin yang of Chinese medicine and Taoist philosophy. Okay. And what does that mean? Within the yin is the yang, within the yang is the yin. So I can Mm. hold both of these aspects of my reality. Everything is perfect. And there's an opportunity for growth, mm. right? That's that's really what it is. It's that simple. Everything is perfect and there's an opportunity for growth. And this is very real. Again, on the scientific side, we see this. I've had very deep conversations with my students uh, right now. We're running a science of healing course and just having really beautiful conversations with our students. Many of them are healing and health practitioners um, about the nature of illness and the nature of disease and the identification with that and and also the understanding that sometimes what we call illness um, can even be considered a gift because when we look at the science and the research we understand that there is a phenomena that we have called in science post-traumatic growth that often happens for cancer patients for trauma survivors for others where some may look and i have had patients come to me and say i realized my cancer was a gift now i won't personally say that i have not had that experience personally i don't think for me to say but i think some people have experienced it that way some people may never see their cancer as a gift but with every disharmony healing is a restoration of harmony so when we experience a disharmony it is just literally a call to a potential learning growing process, bringing it back to the practice to allow ourselves to explore what would it be like to come to some sense of peace around this, amass the resources that I want mm-hmm. and that I'm looking for to move in a different direction. Mm. Thank you so much for that. I'm conscious of the time, but I have to ask you one more question before I let you go. <laughs> the role of each other in our journey of healing. Zooming out for just a sec, even the role that, and I don't want to aggrandize you in any unfair way, but even the role that this conversation may be playing for those that are listening in, in, the, in their journey towards whatever it is they're shift, growing into <laughs> it that way um yeah has a profound effect and you've been studying the effect of even just the biofield when they sort of come into contact with each other and i know we recently had a conversation on trauma on this podcast where a lot of it was being how important 
fundamentally it is for each other to hear, to be seen, to hear each other and to feel validated from one another. Um, just what it does for our human experience. We do run the risk of looking at healing, especially when we sort of lean back into that, you know, and I know we've just healed that in this conversation in terms of the brokenness aspect, but there is a loneliness aspect that can sort of be, you know, felt within healing as well. People like to retreat to cocoon and sort of, you know, go inward. Um, but the role of the other, the interconnectedness um, that, you know, is interwoven with healing and collectively sort of what interconnection has to do in terms of community and healing as well. Um, it blows my mind in this podcast alone over the course of the last five and a half years, the number of different, I don't call them social collective symptoms, but different societal slash planetary symptoms that community seems to be a, I don't want to say silver bullet, but an, uh, an antidote for, mm-hmm. um, continues to blow me away because those are yeah, diasporically different things. <laughs> That's a word. They seem to be different things, but then yet there seems to be at the heart of the solution this idea of community, which does make me in this particular conversation, this juncture, wonder about is it all one big collective healing journey that we're all going on? I'm definitely not qualified to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that space, your awareness between sort of the collective and the healing if you can unpack that a little bit for us. I know it's a big one to finish on. <laughs> I have to ask. Beautiful. What a beautiful question to reflect on toward the end of our time. You know, the short answer is, uh, you know, I do believe that we are all here to recognize that we truly are part of the same fabric of reality, right? And that by witnessing each other in that way, recognizing that, you know, truly, you are me, I am you in divine expression in these beautiful ways, you know, this beautiful tapestry of life, of vibrating life that that we're all connected in with. We all bring our own gifts. We're all these beautiful conscious co-creators. Yet when I fall out of the remembrance of that, Mm. when I forget that, that I can look at you, I can listen to you, I can listen to someone else and remember that, remember who I really am and remember that I'm not really separate from you. Mm. I can still revel in, in you, Amrit, this embodiment of the divine in this form, just mm. as I would revel when I see a beautiful tree and its leaves are changing. You know, as we were talking about earlier during this beautiful time of year up here in the United States and the season's changing, right? There's all of this beauty and really recognizing that for me, I, I recognize it as the manifestations of life force, you know, and the way that they're being created in you separate from me. And, and I can revel in that. And if I'm a little low in my life force, I'm a little down, I'm feeling a little in disharmony. I can actually open to that community, whether it's my community of forest around me, my community of my trusted friends and family, my co- community of supportive healers, right? Mm. Help me remember. Mm. And, and really, that's what I think the community is about. It's, uh, it's really that simple. We're, we're literally making sure that we don't get stuck in our small selves, in our small fields, in our conditioned minds. Coming back together is a way to remember the larger aspects of who we all are. 
Shamini, thank you so much for your time, your presence, your abundant gifts guiding us through the practice today as well. I really, really, really appreciate um, you being here and just sharing yourself so openly with us. And also, I know it's not just today's conversation that informs this moment in time. There's a whole lifetimes of work and may I say, you know, the shoulders of the giants upon which you also get to humbly stand and all that work that, you know, so just acknowledging all of that and your curiosities to bring this to us here today. And yeah, just my deepest gratitude. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Oh, thank you, Amrith. It's been literally a joy. So I appreciate it so much. And I want to thank everyone who's been with us today as well. Thank awesome. you. Guys, links to the book is going to be in the show notes below and also to Shamini's website. If you are curious more about the space of healing, whether it's the biofield, the interpersonal relationships and how that all comes into play, even just the tools on how to access healing. Um, yeah, awesome resources all in there. Put them in the show notes below. And as always, Tribe, thank you so much for listening in. Stay inspired. Keep evolving. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.